listening to the John and Kathy show on 101.5 WORD. Literally this morning, I, I ran out for a chore and I, I came back home. I, I was out of my house seven or eight minutes max. When I came home and opened up the front door, my two dogs and my cat greeted me as though I had been gone for oh. six months. <laughs> I mean, just, you know, hey, they were all wagging their tails and all super excited to see me. I was like, seven or eight minutes. Thank you, guys. It makes you feel good. You know? <laughs> and that's the power of pets, right? Yeah. That animals are, they're otherworldly in some way. They don't possess the same things that you and I do, especially, you know, the dogs, because they're just about pure love for the most part. John Kistler is back with us. John is a writer. He is an animal advocate and a welcome guest on our show monthly. John, always good to see you. Thanks. Glad to be back. John, uh, you know that I have two kittens. Uh, they're about eight months old now. They don't represent pure love. They do represent pure destruction at this point. I'm hoping that that, that phase passes quickly. Uh, we're calling it slow motion vandalism. That's what's <laughs> happening in each room of our home. Nice. Um, you want to talk tonight about creation um, and how God purposed animals in the first place. So start us out. I guess we'll be at the beginning. Sure. Well, I want to mention, too, I think this is like 12 shows I've done with you guys, so it's been quite a few. And uh, in general, we've talked about specific issues about animals. And in a way, you've just been seeing pieces of the puzzle and not the whole picture. So today, since this might be my last visit, I'm moving to Arizona. I might be back in May. It's hard to say. But anyway, I want to sort of pull everything together and show you the, the, the whole picture. A joke. It's actually a true story. My parents, they live in the Sequoia National Forest, mm. out in California. Really? You know these 300-foot-tall redwood trees? They live there. They live in it. So whenever I go home, I get to go visit these world's wow. biggest living things, wow. these trees. Yeah, well, there was a park ranger there, and I asked him if he had any funny experiences. And The best uh, story, the funniest story I've heard is he said he was giving a tour from all these tourists around the forest, and he asked afterwards if any of them had any reactions to the Sequoia National Forest. And one man said... Yeah, it was all right and all, but I couldn't see anything because all the darn trees. <laughs> and I think oh. that's I think that's oh kind of the way. Gosh, maybe the way people are looking at what I've been saying over the last year is maybe you've seen all these little pieces of things about animals oh, that are important goodness. without getting the whole forest. We're seeing the trees and not the forest. That's so really now good. I want you to see the forest for the trees. <laughs> so the the basic question then is why did God make animals and why did god make the whole creation that's the purpose and god has to tell us why because we don't know the mind of god we're not able to understand unless he tells us if you remember the very first question of the westminster confession of faith do you remember the question of the catechism number one i do not what is the purpose of life close what is the chief end of man same thing yeah chief translated end. what is the chief purpose of man and the answer is you remember? To glorify, glorify God. God and enjoy him forever. Exactly. To glorify God and enjoy him forever. Now, what my proposal is to you, and you, I heard you on the radio uh, a commercial earlier saying that Jesus is the Lord of all life. My proposal is that that question does not just answer the purpose of man, but it answers the question of the entire creation. To glorify God. Now, enjoying him forever is kind of questionable because it's kind of hard to say how atoms can enjoy God, for instance. But as far as living things go. A-T-O-M-S, yes, okay. not Adams, right, Atoms. Okay. Okay. <laughs> right, so at any rate, I say the purpose of God in creating everything is his own glory. So why did God create angels? For his glory. Why did God create planets? For his glory. Why did God create animals? 
are you going to come up with some other answer? I mean, what other answer is there? Yeah. Uh, he was just bored. I mean, come on, there was a reason. And there's proof for that in the book of Revelation. If you remember the famous scene of worship of mm-hmm. God around his throne in Revelation 4 through 6, mm-hmm. in chapter 5, let me read, pardon me, chapter 4, I'll read you verses 9 through 11, King James. Whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, Hmm. who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before him who sits on the throne and worship him who lives forever and ever. They cast their crowns before the throne, saying, You are worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and for your pleasure they are and were created. For your pleasure. Hmm. Now, that's the King James. Other translations just say, by your will. But I like the King James better because the implication is there that God did it because he wanted to, because it pleased him to do so. Yes. And what it says is, is you created all things, not just us angels or you people. Everything God created was for his pleasure. Now, if God created all the animals and all the creation for his pleasure— then how is it that we say these days, the only reason God made the earth and animals is for us to use as we need? That's wrong. That's basically what modern capitalism says. Is the reason the world is here is because God wanted us to have goodies to get. Mm-hmm. I would say that is a purpose, but not the purpose. Things that are created have multiple purposes. Take, for example, um, the, the military. The uh, United States and other countries, we build a jet. And we often build multi-purpose fighters. They can drop bombs. They can shoot missiles. They can do dogfighting, you know, whatever. They can do multiple things. Yes. God created everything, or many things at least, with multiple purposes. So one purpose for animals is to be pets. One purpose for animals is to be eaten, apparently. But that is not the purpose in any creature. The purpose of every creature is for God's pleasure. In fact, God said that all the animals and all the creation is good before he even made man. Mm-hmm. So they were good before we were around, even before they had that purpose. Mm. So I think it's important for people to to understand that the purpose of everything, including animals, is God's glory. And so for us to wrongly destroy or wrongly treat any of God's animals is to take away his glory. We are to have dominion over the animals. Yes, and that's one of their their purposes is for us to have dominion over them. But in fact, we will talk about what is the meaning of dominion uh, in a few minutes. Hmm. So, if God created, yeah, I've told the story before. Let me go back. The night I watched March of the Penguins. Oh yeah, love right? it. Such a fabulous, sure fabulous is. film. Do you know most of those penguins are now dead? Is that right? Why? Because the a giant iceberg or something shifted and blocked their passage in and out, and they were all starving to death. Is that right? How long ago after the How long after the film was that? I think it was two years. Okay. So when I when that I, colony is pretty much gone. Yeah. Well, well, what I'm about to say would apply to any wildlife, any animal form, anywhere at any time. But as I was watching March of the Penguins, I thought to myself, "It is so fabulous that God created this for us." And then, as I was watching the film, I, I started thinking about the fact that those. <laughs> Those penguins were there doing this for thousands, tens of thousands, maybe maybe millions of years before 
one human ever even knew it was happening. So clearly, <laughs> let's just talk about a percentage basis. The amount of time humans have noticed it is incremental. God created the penguins because they were awesome, and yep. that's what God does, and God enjoyed them. Right. So it, it is when we look at creation and we say, oh, this is an incredible blessing for us, I think it's important for us to recognize that the creation blesses us, but the creation was not made for us. Absolutely. In fact, it's funny reading some of the Puritans and colonial times, men trying, preachers in fact, trying to find reasons why God created certain things. There's a guy who claims that house flies were created to keep us on our toes so we keep things clean. And mosquitoes so that we would protect our bodies from harm. And lobsters so we could see how you could use armor in battle. He was trying to find reasons for everything mm. God made that worked with humans. That God made horse poop smell sweet because we, we could enjoy it because he knew we'd be around horses and smell a lot of their poop. I mean, come on, guys. Okay, all right. <laughs> no, that's a stretch. It's just yeah. silly. That's because people always say, you know, why did God, in, you know, create the mosquito? Be, it's right, it's but, such a pest. Because it's an annoyance to us yes. humans, like we are the only yeah. What's creatures the purpose? that matter. Well, in seminary, they used to tease me about mosquitoes. They used to say, since I thought all animals went to heaven, they thought mosquitoes should go to hell because they could serve a dual purpose of tormenting the wicked and be happy themselves. <laughs> oh, my God. John Kistler's with us. He's a writer and an animal advocate. We'll take a quick break and step away. Are you a member of the Word FM fan club? WORD. We are talking all of God's creation with writer and animal advocate John Kistler. We recognize, those of us who read the scriptures and, and know the whole story, that the creation begins in a garden and it ends in a city, right? Correct. Um, in between there are several other steps mm -hmm. along the way. But you say, John, that, that, that it's all a common theme, that God is setting up his throne on the earth. Right. The Garden of Eden, the tabernacle, and the temple the tabernacle and temple are models of the Garden of Eden, in other words. And I'm going to show you some of the similarities between all of those and the final New Jerusalem. Um, it's not entirely true that the new heavens and new earth will just be a city. The city comes down out of heaven, and it's 1,837 square miles cubed. So in other words, if you'd looked at the map of the eastern United States, it would fill up basically from coast to Rocky Mountains, from north to south, cover the U.S., and it would go up 1,837 miles into the sky. Hmm. Very interesting shape. Why? It's a giant skyscraper for all of, the, all of God's people to live in, and God will be at the top of it. Jesus will be at the top. So anyway, we'll, we'll talk about some of these themes. I'll show you how they're similar. Okay. There's a great bumper sticker that I saw once that I loved. I think you'll like this. It's about Garden of Eden. God's original plan was to hang out in a garden with a bunch of naked vegetarians. <laughs> <laughs> and that is both funny and true. Mm -hmm. Because we see in Genesis chapter 3 that Jesus, we, well, it just says God, but we know it was Jesus, his pre-incarnate body, walking in the garden, Adam and Eve heard the sound of God walking in the garden, and he was calling out to them. The implication is, is that Jesus used to walk around there and come meet them in the mm -hmm. garden. Hang out. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So, and at the time, they were naked and they were vegetarians. So the, the bumper sticker is true. But there's another place in the Bible that's interesting that describes Eden a little more. And it's a fascinating passage in Ezekiel chapter 28. And a lot of people, including myself, believe it refers to Satan, but even though it talks about the king of Tyre, 
it's a curse of God on the king of Tyre for his wickedness. But it talks about him living in the Garden of Eden and trying to raise himself above the throne of God, for instance. So it sounds a lot more like Satan than the king of Tyre. Mm -hmm. yes. But what it says there is that the Garden of Eden, it doesn't call it Eden, it calls it the Garden of God and the Mountain of God. Hmm. So apparently in Eden there was a mountain. And so the idea... And, in Ezekiel 28, it seems that Satan was trying to raise himself above Jesus and God in the, in the mountain of God before he was cast down. So the idea is probably in the Garden of Eden, there was a mountain and God was on top and God's throne was on top. And Jesus would come down to walk with them in the valley in the garden. The reason I bring this up about the mountain is because in Daniel chapter 2, Nebuchadnezzar has a dream that Daniel interprets. You remember the statue yes. with the head and the yes. feet? Yep. And the statue is crushed by a giant rock, mm -hmm. and the giant rock grows and turns into a mountain that covers the earth. The mountain is the final empire. That's the church. The kingdom of God is the mountain. So the prophecy in Daniel and throughout Ezekiel is that in the end of time, the new Jerusalem will be the mountain of God. So the reason it's cube-shaped, this giant shape we hear about, which just doesn't make any sense, is because it's this mountainous place. I just find that... I it's fascinating. Very interesting. But here, let me give you some of the parallels between Eden. A lot of this comes from a writer named T. Desmond Alexander. I want to give him some credit for this because he listed the similarities between the Garden of Eden, the Tabernacle, the Temple, and the New Jerusalem. And I think you'll find these remarkable. First of all, Eden, the Tabernacle, and the Temple were all entered from the east, and they were guarded by cherubim. Hmm. In other words, Solomon in the temple had cherubim painted on the walls or statues made yes. at, the, at the gates. Mm -hmm. The tabernacle had pictures on the curtains, and God placed the cherubim at the entrance. You remember they kept Adam and Eve out when they yes. sinned. So the cherubim were at the entrance to all these places. Hmm. So I'm assuming then that in the New Jerusalem, something similar will be. The cherubim will be there, but instead of keeping us out with their swords, they'll be letting us in. Oh, that's cool. Okay. The second similarity is that gold and onyx and other precious stones are used for beauty and decoration in all of these places. In Ezekiel 28, where God is challenging Satan and cursing him, he talks about all the precious stones he was hoarding up. He, he was trying to make himself more beautiful. Well, it also talks in Genesis about the, the beautiful stones and the rivers in Eden, in Genesis chapter 2. And in the breastplate in the tabernacle, the high priest had a breastplate made up of 12 gemstones representing the 12 mm -hmm. tribes of Judah. Mm -hmm. So beautiful, beautiful stones. And then in the New Jerusalem in Revelation 22, what do you see? Gates of pearl, mm -hmm. streets of gold. Mm -hmm. It's getting back yeah. to the Garden of Eden. It's a, you might call it a completed Garden of Eden. So the tabernacle and the temple are steps in, to help us remember as humans where we've fallen from the Garden of Eden, but we will be going back to it. Hmm. To worship God, this place of worship. Um, other similarities. Number three, the menorah lampstand. What does it represent? Most of us believe it represents the tree of life. There was the tree of life in the garden that gave eternal life, that shone its light. The menorah lampstand was kept in the tabernacle, kept in the temple. Mm -hmm. And in the New Jerusalem, there will be a real live tree of life from which will flow the waters of life. So once again, a tree. Number four, here's the one I wanted to explain to you as far as dominion goes. There are only two places in the Bible where two verbs are used together, these two verbs, abad and samar. In Genesis 2.15, it says God told Adam to abad and samar the garden. 
Now, in general, those are translated to till or serve and to guard. So in other words, God told Adam, I want you to, to cultivate or serve the garden and guard it. Abad and Samar. The only other place in the Bible where that is found is in the book of Numbers, chapter 3, where God tells the Levites how to take care of the tabernacle. I want you to serve it and guard it. So in other hmm. words, Adam was the priest in the garden. The Levites are taking care of the garden now, and they do it again in the temple. So God's people's job, as given by God, both in Eden, the tabernacle, and the temple, was to cultivate and guard hmm. that. That's the only two places in the Bible that occurs. Interesting. So the command for Adam and Eve, the command for the Levites, and I would think the command for us is that we, we till or serve the land and we guard it. Exactly, because the purpose that I'm getting to, the purpose of God in creating the earth was to make his place to live where we would live with him. So he, he wanted us to have something to do, though. He told Adam and Eve, I want you to take care of the garden, and then your children will spread it throughout the earth. Remember, that's why God mm -hmm. cursed the Tower of Babel, because the people refused to go out and do what God said. Hmm. So he, right. he made them screw up their languages, so they all scattered. That's what he wanted. He wanted them to spread over the earth and turn the rest of the earth into a place to worship God. I see. So um, let me give you a few more, though, that are just interesting. The Holy of Holies, I told you, was a cube. Yep. In the tabernacle and the temple, it was a cube. That's why the New Jerusalem in the future is a cube shape. That's why. The rivers flowing Wait, 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 out... wait. Go back. Oh, okay. Wait, what was a cube? The uh, tabernacle. When the God tabernacle told, was a cube. When God told Moses... Well, the Holy of Holies oh, the, was oh, a cube. okay. The tabernacle was a long tent. Right. But the cube shape got was it. in the back. Okay, got it. Okay. okay. So um, that's why it has to be a cube. Okay. So all I'm trying to do is show you that all of these things are related this is a theme throughout the Bible. Um, here's an amazing one. In Genesis chapter 1, God declares the creation good seven times. Hmm. God declares the tabernacle good seven times hmm. after it's finished being built. Hmm. Another obvious proof that the creation or that the tabernacle was meant to be a reminder of the of creation. Of the garden. I never thought of that. That's where you're supposed to worship. Yeah. Where God okay. is. I love that. Right. And last, oh, here's another one. The Holy Spirit. Oh, do you have to? Take a break. Okay. The Holy Spirit is only mentioned a few times in the Old Testament. He's not really common, you know. Genesis 1, God, the Holy Spirit hovered Hovering. over the face of the water. Right. And yet the Holy Spirit is constantly working in a fellow named Bezalel to build the tabernacle. So the Holy Spirit was helping to shape the whole creation. The Holy Spirit was helping to shape the tabernacle. God came to Solomon and gave him instructions on how to build the temple. The Holy Spirit's working to build the temple. So... The Holy Spirit is at work everywhere he's building things for mm. his throne. Wow, and that's fascinating. Lastly, from the book of Hebrews, um, you remember Jesus killed animals to cover Adam and Eve's nakedness yes. in the Garden of Eden. So sacrifice was a symbol of this um, future coming of Jesus to sacrifice himself on our behalf. Because we are now wicked, we need to be covered in his righteousness. The book of Hebrews talks about how in chapters 8 and 9, the future Messiah... The tabernacle's done because Jesus has fulfilled all of that. And in the future, he's the lamb that was slain as we see him. So all of these things are related. And what I guess this is a good time. If you needed to take a break, we can uh, complete this little set. Okay. Well, let's do that then. We'll take a quick break. John Kessler is with us. We're talking about uh, animals and uh, human advocates and uh, creation and the purpose of animals in our lives. 101.5 WO. 
93.5 WORD. What is the creation and the purpose of animals? What's that all about? Happy to have welcome in his regular monthly slot, John Kissler, to talk to us about animals, God's creation. So you were mentioning the consistent, this is no surprise, anyone who's read the Bible knows that, that there's the incredible consistency God has with telling this story to us. And so the consistency of looking at the garden, looking at the tabernacle, and then looking at the temple is really amazing. Yes, the this is huge. The reason I gave you all those details showing you the similarities is I want you to see that this is the theme of the Bible. This is the theme of history. In other words, God's purpose for the creation was to be the place where he would live on earth with people and animals forever. I see. That was his intention. From the beginning, he, the mountain of God was in Eden. He would come down to talk to the people. He told the people to spread his temple around the world. You might think of the seventh day, the seventh day of rest, mm -hmm. not just as a ceasing of work, but as the day to enjoy everything that has been made and celebrate the victory, celebrate the goodness. So it's not rest entirely. It is enjoyment. The, the chief end of man is to glorify God and enjoy him forever. The Sabbath was a special day to enjoy him. God intended that the work would eventually be completed and his temple would be complete. Hmm. That's what the Revelation 22 is, the new Jerusalem. When Jesus has overcome all of his enemies, he will come down, bring the Jerusalem from heaven, and he will live with his people forever. Remember all the prophecies. He will dry every tear from mm -hmm. their eyes. All of that will be accomplished. So that is what God intended from the beginning. But Satan came to destroy it, and he got the people to rebel right from the beginning. You know, Satan arrives and turns it all against God. So the whole story of history, the whole story of the Bible, is God keeping a remnant of people to glorify him and to gradually restore his kingdom on the earth. So the tabernacle was a symbol. Remember where you've fallen from. Remember where we're going. The temple was a symbol. Remember where you've fallen from. Remember mm -hmm. where we're going. Then Jesus came and fulfilled all of that. Jesus brought the atonement. And in the end, he will bring his final victory. So the whole story of the Bible is God bringing himself to make earth into heaven. You see, heaven is not just a, an ethereal place. Heaven is wherever God is. So when God brings the new Jerusalem to earth and lives here, that becomes heaven. Mm -hmm. So the whole story of the Bible is how does God turn the earth and his people? How does he save his people and his world? And that's what this is all about. Sacrifice. The reason you had all those sacrifices in the tabernacle and the temple is because the people had no way to, to fix their relationship with God. God promised that if you kill an innocent animal, I will accept that on your behalf. Now, he couldn't accept it because the animal had any power to save us. No. The animal was innocent but had no power. All it was was a symbol, a very poignant symbol. You can imagine killing an animal with your own hands and sacrificing it would be a very poignant symbol. We're, we're pretty squeamish about these kind of things. But it was pointing forward to what God would accept from Jesus. Now, on the cross, Jesus destroyed or took away our sin. And yet the disciples might have seen the crucifixion as a giant defeat. Jesus is dead. Satan has won, in a sense. It wasn't until Jesus rose from the dead and proved his power over death. You see, being saved from your sin if you're not resurrected, doesn't do you a lot of good. Right, right. I guess it means maybe you don't go to hell, but you can't live in heaven with God forever because you're going to die. Yeah. Jesus had to kill the last enemy, which is death. 
So the resurrection, the Easter, is the real symbol of the, the victory of God on earth. It won't. Now the church's job is to spread over the earth and bring God's kingdom to the whole earth. Now, I'm not saying we're going to succeed at it. You know, there's people like Theonomists who believe we actually might pull it off on earth using governments. I tend to doubt that working. <laughs> you can see the best yeah. government we've come up with now that yeah. we sort of... Well, well, we won't go there. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, the purpose of God in all of history is to bring his kingdom back to earth. Jesus will then lay down all of the creation at God's feet, and the victory will be there. I wonder, John, and again, you know, you're providing us with some really interesting things. Uh, you know, the animal's objectivity or awareness in all this. Um, can you comment on that? Sure. Well, you think uh, the classic passage is Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of God. The earth shows forth his handiwork. You know, day unto day, utter speech, night unto yes. night, shows knowledge. You can't say that all of the creation is aware of God. But I believe you can say that the animals are. Mm -hmm. Now, mm -hmm. I wouldn't call it, it's certainly not a, a conscious, thoughtful awareness like we have. Right. We have, uh, animals have conch, conch, not just conscience, consciousness, and they have thought. But they don't have the brain power we do, shall we say. Mm -hmm. um, elephants and dolphins and whales are pretty smart. I doubt they're still as smart as we are. I think God intended for us to have dominion because... We were the ones he gave the biggest brains to, or the most effective brains, anyway. In his likeness. Exactly. So I do not claim that the animals understand it. Certainly the atoms, A-T-O-M-S, do not. But the animals do, I think. And God can use them for that reason, just like he used the, you know, Balaam's donkey and etc. But if you remember Romans 8, the whole creation groans, waiting for the revealing of the sons of God. Mm -hmm. That's... This is what we call the universal Jesus, the universal Christ. Jesus does not just reign over your soul. Jesus reigns over your body. Jesus reigns over the animals, over the plants, over the governments. Jesus reigns over everything. That's what it means to call him Lord. We've gotten away from this. In the 19th century, preachers, great preachers like D.L. Moody and Charles Finney, made a big mistake when they totally promoted personal salvation as the reason for our existence. All that matters is your soul. We gotta save people's souls. Don't worry about anything else because all of it doesn't matter. God's gonna burn it to a crisp anyway. And we're all gonna live in heaven floating around like angels. That's wrong, absolutely wrong. Jesus came to earth as a man. He still has a body. He can still show you scars in his hands. Even though he's in heaven, he has a body. We will have bodies. Jesus went around healing people. These days he would be rejected by most churches because he bothers about physical things. Mm -hmm. We've got this idea that only souls matter. Right. That's Plato and Aristotle. That has nothing to do with Christianity. We get resurrection bodies. Jesus is going to restore everything. As Francis Schaeffer said in his book, The Pollution and the Death of Man, what was destroyed in the fall was our relationship to God, our relationships with each other, and our relationship to the world. And the victory that Jesus will bring will be to fix all of those relationships, not just the relationship between you and God, the relationship between you and other people, and the relationship between humans and the world. All of that is going to be healed. That's what all of those prophecies in the Old Testament, like Isaiah chapter 9, the lion lays down with the mm -hmm. lamb, all of those refer to animals in the yeah, future. That's good. And we will be there with them. The holy city will come down and take up 
a huge 1,837 square cubic miles of the Earth. The rest of the Earth is going to be full of animals and plants and all the things that God made and thought were good. And we will be able to go out and enjoy them. And I'm going to have my own herd of elephants. <laughs> <laughs> you put in an order already. Yeah, that's, that's fine. Cool. I'll have a Siberian tiger. Thank very you nice. very much. Right. <laughs> I'd love to see you atop a, a, an elephant striding amongst the masses. John, that, that's worth the ticket to <laughs> heaven you know, unto but, itself. But, you know, that image, that hope we have is so rich if we recognize that the things that are around us that God declared good aren't going to be vaporized mm-hmm. in an Armageddon. That's great. All of this comes down to a misinterpretation of Second Peter chapter 3. There are three verses there that have confused us for a long time because they were badly, badly translated. In Second Peter chapter 3 it says, the earth is going to be burned up with a fervent heat and the elements will be destroyed. Okay, And people take those two phrases from the poor translation and say, okay, God's going to wipe out the earth. So what's the use protecting the earth? I've heard a lot of theonomists and other Christians say, and especially dispensationalists, they'll say, we don't worry about the earth because God's going to wipe it out anyway. So we're just rearranging the deck chairs on the Titanic. Just use it and abuse it. Exactly. We don't have to take care of it because God doesn't care, so why should we? He's going to burn it up. That is all a bad translation. What it says in Greek is not burn up like burn up in a fire, destroy. It's the same word used for smelting in mining. When you find a chunk of gold in the mountains or you pan it out of the lake, you melt it to get the dross out. Mm -hmm. And once the dross comes out, you get pure gold. Those words for burning up there do not mean destroy. It means purifying. And in fact, what Peter says earlier in the chapter and later is it'll be just like the flood when God destroyed the world that was. Did God destroy the world? No. All he did was he killed all the wicked people on it, and he killed the, the he destroyed the civilizations. The earth itself remained. Yeah. The Hit promise the reset is. Button. Yes, the promise is that while earth remains, seed time and harvest will never cease. That was the everlasting covenant that God made with Noah and who else? All the animals. It says five times in Genesis chapter nine, I make this covenant with you and every creature that comes out of the earth or out of the ark with you. So the eternal covenant that the seasons will never end that comes from God is for the animals as well. And in fact, in Hosea 2, God says in that day, in the future, in the heavens and the new earth, I will make a covenant with you and the beasts and they will no longer harm you in all my holy mountain. Holy mountain is Eden. So all of these things that people now say, oh, that's just the millennium. No, that's the future. That's the end. John. That's a singularly unique perspective well, which you awesome. provide that's us with. It is stuff. awesome. That's we, the good stuff. It really is. Thanks an awful lot. We'll take a quick break, but John Kistler is going to stick with us. Um, we got some news, I think, um, which we don't appreciate this news, but we'll talk about that in a little bit. John Kistler, he's a, a writer and an animal advocate. He'll stick around with us for a few more minutes. Are you a Word FM fan club member? If no perspective on what really matters, the John and Kathy Show continues on W-O-R-D. In all the many years that Kath and I have uh, produced and hosted this show, we have never had anyone like John Kistler join us. Uh, no just, one, and no one who's ever looked at animals no. in that way. And so for that, John, we're so thankful. We are. And so, John, uh, unfortunately, we're sad as well because um, it looks as though you may be leaving us to, um, to go out west. Um, we would encourage you not to. <laughs> so you're going to leave Pittsburgh. Yeah, I need a new job. My job died, went bankrupt, and... So need to find a new place to go. I've already got a job pretty much lined up. Okay. So I'll live in my brother's garage for a couple of months until I find a place and the job gets going well. All right. 
Okay, thank goodness there are telephones. Yeah. So it's not like we have to not be in contact again. No, we no. want you to join us. Right. We can talk on the phone. Okay, so in closing, you mentioned something off the air that I want to say on the air because I really do think it's powerful. Um, that Satan's mission was to make the larger story of God a tragedy. God threw the devil out of heaven with apparently one-third of the angels who rebelled with him. Hmm. It says in Revelation that the great dragon drug one-third of the stars to the earth with him. And he knew from the from that point he was doomed because God was against him. And yes. What's he going to do? So what he did is he went to earth to try to destroy some of God's stuff and take it with him. So he wanted Adam and Eve to fall and all of his children to fall and for all of life and all of history to be a tragedy where everything God made would go to hell with the, with him. But Jesus turned it into a comedy, not a slapstick comedy, not a happy, happy, joy, joy comedy. A comedy means a happy ending. Jesus took what looked like an unbeatable hand that Satan had. How can he save these wicked people? How can a holy God tolerate such wickedness among his creatures? And Jesus found a way to do it, a way that Satan apparently didn't know and the angels didn't know and we could hardly imagine, which was substitution. We, I wouldn't have thought of that. I would have thought we were all doomed. So Jesus turned the tragedy into a comedy, and it is a happy ending. We don't need to be fatalists and think, oh, no, we're all doomed. No, we're not all doomed. The kingdom of God is growing on the earth, and Jesus will one day stand on it with us. That's a terrific point. It's kind of ironic. I was just talking to my son today about this because he's doing a play, and I said, remember, you are in a comedy. So all the things that you know uh, inform you or all the actions run through that filter of a comedy. There is a certain liftedness to this. It's not going to end badly, so you as a character have to respond as well. So to think about that, you know, and of course, we're not saying it's slapstick comedy, although there are elements of that, I'm sure, in many passages, but it is something that brings joy to you, mm-hmm. that, is, yep. that is wonderful, that is good, that is true and strong. And I love that perspective, John. It's not Romeo and Juliet. It's not Othello. It's not gloom and doom. God is on the throne, and everything will end well, and we are to rejoice in that comedy that is coming Much our way. Much ado about nothing. Yes. And the animals will be with us. That's a bonus for me. Because who doesn't like to leave, come back eight minutes later and go, hey, man, where have you been? I missed you. And I'm going, I miss you, too. Makes you all happy. Yeah. And I really do want that Siberian tiger. Like a really, like one that's not going to eat me. Like one that I can really hang out with, you know, those big paws. And yeah. don't you want that? Mm-hmm. Don't you want to live a different a life yeah. in your future with animals? I mean, I, right. that's one of the things I'm longing for the most. I look forward to seeing you guys. You and the Siberian, you with a herd of elephants. I don't know. <laughs> who you're quite a reunion. You're, you're going to be with a herd of goats or what? I don't know. I'll figure it out along the way. Yeah. Hey, thanks for being with us. The podcast is up about an hour or so after we leave the air. So if you miss any of John Kissler's conversation with us, check it out online at wordfm.com. As always, a great pleasure. God willing, we'll see you same time tomorrow. Have yourself a great night.